Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I want to read one scripture for you. Um, and and uh, Jude, verse 23. I sent this to someone this morning via, via text. Uh, I do do those occasionally. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Let me tell you what uh, my presupposition to that is. It's found in 2 Timothy 2, 1. Look, read there with me. Uh, it's verse 1. Thou therefore, uh, whenever you see a therefore, Derek Prince, one of my favorite teachers, used to say, you, you must find out what it's there for. So that is a subsequent statement to a previous condition. Uh, I'm not going to do that for you. Uh, you do the homework on that. I want to read the subsequent statement to the therefore. You read the previous chapter because that will give you the context. Therefore, my son. Now, I want you to listen to this. Therefore, my son. This is a spiritual father. It's not a biological father. It's a spiritual father talking to a son. And he says this. I'm reading it out of the New Living Translation. Uh, no, this is King James I've got. Okay, New Living Translation right here. Just in case, I'm, you know, I'm got a lot of Bibles, and he gave me a, a time I got until after the Super Bowl, so it's no big deal. Hallelujah. So, okay. So, so <laughs> he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. See that? He's saying to his son, now be strong in the grace. He says, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men, look at that, who shall be able to teach others also. Subsequently, he says in verse 3, there, thou therefore, now here's another therefore, you have to find out what it's there for. So that's the previous two verses I just read. He's saying, in effect, if you do this four-generational transfer thing, Timothy, watch, Paul writing to Timothy, who will commit to certain men, who will commit to certain others. That's four Generation, generations, uh, in other words, contemporary language is multi-level marketing, right? Okay, there you are in the Bible. They stole that from us. You see that? From the Bible. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Now, I don't know what kind of translations you have, but this is pretty much what he probably talks about you all the talks to you about all the time now in some sense you're not talking to someone who couldn't make it in this life he was an attorney his whole you know his family they're doctors attorneys his dad's attorney uh, you know a doctor you know, so they can make it in this life but paul is saying this now here paul again uh, trained on the gamelia uh, he was an elitist in terms of his pedigree right he could trace his genealogy Right. Um, in terms of his background. So he was dealing with not only 
the economic potential, but he had the caste background too. In other words, England, you know, the royal family, Prince William, right, married, you know, right, what's her name? There you are. Um, but the true royal family, I just believe, was uh, William and Catherine Booth. There was the royal family because they follow the right DNA, and not the Queen of England, but the King of Kings. But that's okay. No problem. No extra charge. Don't worry about it. Again, watch this. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. What's the reason for that? That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now, here it is right there. Now, watch. One more passage I want to give you. Okay? That's Mark chapter 16. Okay? Hang in there with me for a minute. I didn't uh, do the kinds of things that I would normally do, which is, you know, applaud the pastor and his wife and that kind of thing and introduce myself to you. I went straight to the word, okay? I did. So verse 16, verse 9, look what it says. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first. Now, uh, men, uh, we have a book here. I'm going to talk about it in a minute. We have a book here. I'm going to talk about it. And part of what I just read relates to this book here. Okay? So, I am going to say, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Notice, this book says, what is a man? However, it says when Jesus was raised, he appeared first to a woman. I don't understand. I, I would have another question because I would wonder why wasn't a man there and why didn't he appear first to, appear first to a man? Because when he first created uh, human beings, he created a man. But in his resurrection, the new life, you know, the resurrection life, he appears to a woman. So, okay, ladies, I'll give you a hint. Maybe because a man wasn't living up to the level and a woman says, I will. Okay, no, no problem. Read my book, Women Are Kingmakers, and you'll get that one. Out of whom he cast seven devils, and I don't believe that was something that he by mistake put in there. Look at this, not just a woman, but a woman who was living below the level. He appears first to a woman like that. Not a woman who had everything right, but a, whom, a woman whom he got right. And she walked out of her deliverance into a place of divine satisfaction and never lost her passion for him. Look at this. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. Now, here these guys are acting like they're really sorry. Oh, my God. Look at And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. Now, there's some presuppositions that we could go to. Now, this woman who had been delivered from all these devils, who was, you know, some kind of low-living kind of woman coming, telling them, the ones who he had been with, the ones who were his disciples, he's alive. Because it could be that they were thinking, no, he would not have appeared to you first. He would have appeared to us first. And therefore, we don't believe you because you're not the right gender and you're not at the right level because you were not with him like we were. 
And I'm not saying that they thought that, but there was something going on with those brothers. Those brothers had some issues going on. Uh, you understand? Because she was telling them the truth. Because the truth may not come in a package that you want it to come in. But the truth is the truth. So you got to look beyond the package and look at the substance of where it's actually coming from. Not who's the watch, the voice. Because God's raising up voices now, not echoes. Are you hearing me? Oh, yeah. Don't worry about it. We'll get to it. Uh, then, then, watch this. After that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue. Look at this. Neither believed they them. So now it's two of the disciples that walked with him. Now he went to a man. They came to him. They still didn't believe. And then, verse 14, he says, afterward, he appeared unto the eleven. The eleven. See, I, my ghetto came out a little bit. I said eleven, not eleven. See, that said eleven. Yeah, no articulation there. As they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief. Look, two, hardness of heart. Three, because they believe not them which had been sent after he was written, risen. Watch, respect of persons. Three. Are you hearing that? Don't worry about that. I'm not doing an expository message, but you should get those three points right there. I just said it. One, two, three. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Gives them those, these 11 people that didn't believe him originally because they were surprised when the Mary Magdalene came to them and said he's risen. Then the two came to them, said he's risen, right? Then he had to appear. So they got witnesses, yet Jesus takes those three, those 11, and commits the taking of the gospel to the whole world to disciples that were like them. You think about it for a minute. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall, not opinion, shall they cast out devils. Uh, they shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And the snakes isn't just necessarily, even though it happened to Paul, literal snakes. There are a whole lot of snakes that's wearing, you know, sheep's clothing. And, uh, and, uh, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick. And they shall recover. I want to talk about a new generation transition here just for a moment. Brother came and asked me for the title. Um, I just preached the everlasting gospel. I don't really have titles, but I guess I will for the sake of the tape. Go ahead and give you one. Cause, and one person said to me, because uh, tomorrow morning I'll do our Kingmaker prayer line at 5 a.m. And then the next week I'm going to do a five-day Revival service on the phone, 5 a.m. Prayer, preaching, and healing service on the phone, and there'll be people there from all over the United States on that line at 5 a.m. I don't care if you live in California. It means you got to do it at 2 a.m. It doesn't matter if you're in the mountain time or whatever time slot. It doesn't matter. If you want this, it won't be cheap grace. It's going to cost you something. You see that? Gather the saints, them who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. My Father, I thank you and bless you so much 
for who you are, for the revelation of your word, for the call of God upon all of us. Oh, Father, you said today if we hear your voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. We know that even in the day of Moses, there were those who did not hear your voice because they looked at the man, not who was speaking through him. We know, oh, Father, it happened even with Jesus himself. The Pharisees, scribes, and Sadducees rejected him. They didn't hear God's voice. And then the disciples went out, Lord, and some of them looked at them as just mere men, not realizing that they were from heaven and that they were commissioned by you to take your place to reach the whole world. And, Lord, here we are in this day. We have a man and a woman. I came out into this sanctuary, and I heard the voice of a woman of God praying and then uh, leading in praise and worship and then praying some more and then leaving in pray, leading in praise and worship. And then I saw a man of God stand up and give the word of God as the first thing to his people. Oh, Lord, and provoke them not to be clowns, but to get in a position where they'll be crowned uh, with that uh, soul winner's crown, with that crown that is going to allow them to have an eternal responsibility. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. They're functioning now here in the earth like it's going to be in heaven. Thank you for opening our eyes to see, our ears to hear, for, tra for transitioning our heart. But we're good ground, not just to study for a sermon, not just to echo what somebody else heard from you, but to be voices, literally your mouth, speaking to a people hungry. Thank you, Lord. I ask that you would speak to the people today as I read to them your word. I believe that these are good ground. These are the people that I believe you are sending me to like this, hungry, ready, available. They're not going to be satisfied unless they get the witness. They're living only for you. Bless you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. And all the people said, well, glory to God. Well, good morning, everybody, this morning. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm excited. Well, I haven't preached in my own church in about, uh, I don't know, maybe 11 or 12 weeks. And that doesn't mean that they haven't gotten some good word over there. And as soon as Bishop Hunt came back down to Atlanta and left the fat boys for a minute up there in Washington, D.C., I put him straight to work. That is... Krista's daddy. Uh, he's, a, he's a man of God. And we hadn't had him in two years, really. So he get a chance to preach for five straight weeks. Pounding. I said, don't hold back. They got to have it. And then afterward, I put this woman, Ziggy Oblander from East Germany, on them to preach hard for the whole month of January. Not to hold back. And in between, I asked Isaiah Saldivar, a little 22-year-old, feisty, 120-pound, skinny uh, preacher from uh, Mantega, California, to pound us through. And there was some transformation that was going on in there. There were a whole lot of people that is permanently changed by his presence. I believe that they needed to get out of that 2013, which if you add two 
1 and 3 through 0, 013. That's the number 6. That's the number for man. And we've now entered, and there were a whole lot of fleshly things that was going on in 2013. I had my attorney, I told him our theme for this next year uh, is as faith moves forward. And, um, and on our, the front cover of our read-through, reading through the Bible, reading guide, faith moves forward. I realized this is the time for not only for us to take ground, but for God to take us fully. And in that process, in the daily reading, I have also put in here, by the inspiration of my daughter, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, the Westminster Confession, you know, the higher catechism, so that we can get our foundations back because God is going to build upon a good foundation and he's not building upon this uh, narcissistic foundation that is not based on anything. And so I believe that God has brought a man of God to you so that you could build and become the champions that God wants you to become. Now, as I've just shown you through scripture that not God didn't just choose a man as in um, biology, but you can see he appeared to women. And I can clearly show you if I read to you Luke chapter 3. I'm going to read this again out of the New Living Translation or Luke chapter 8. I want you to see something with me just for, just for a moment. Because I'm talking about a new generation trans, transition. And Luke chapter 8, I won't wait on you. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. Now, this is different than the, uh, uh, the kingdom of God is the rule of God in every area of life. He took his 12 disciples with him. Look at this. Along with some women who have been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Now watch. So he took those women with him. Now there are others who Jesus had delivered. He didn't let them go with him. But these women who had been cured of diseases, he took them with him. Watch. Among them, and he names them, was Mary Magdalene. We just finished reading about her, right? From whom he had cast out seven demons. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager. So these were women who were like the um, Proverbs 31 woman. These women were not broke women. This idea that a woman just has to have a man for security is a, an American invention. It is not bibliocentric because in the creative order, it clearly says it's not good that man should be alone, but I'm going to create a help meet for him. So it wasn't a, a woman that had to have a man. It was a man that had to have a woman. That's the right process to understand this. Because God says it's very good after he creates the woman and gives them their assignment. Because when you read 1 Genesis 1.28, he says, and God spoke unto them. So that mandate, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, dominate, wasn't just to the man. It was to mankind. It was to the family. It wasn't that this woman is some little, little weak something and the man is just dominating something while she lets the devil come there and talk junk to her in the garden, she should have stood up right there because she had been given 
an ability from God spoken before she was ever made. She could have handled the devil. Why? Because she was made by, one, the revelation of God. Secondly, the handiwork of God. Man came from dirt. Woman came from the man. And he shaped her. So she was a woman without sin in her life with a uh, a husband said that came from what God said she could have handled a fallen archangel without the favor or backing of God. She should have told him herself, shut up. Get out of here talking to me. So I want to say to you ladies, you know, if your husband is not at where he should be, that's not going to be an excuse for you in the great day. To be able to say to God, well, well, you know, my husband just left us all out here and uh, we couldn't do anything. You must haven't understood the creation like I just explained it to you. And then the Proverbs 31 woman is a woman that is a resource woman. And that woman, it, it, she understands how the market works. She understands economics. She doesn't say, well, I just don't understand economics. I don't understand how the market works. Well, do you understand how God works? Just because your husband is irresponsible doesn't mean your family has to be broke. Oh, I'm preaching really. I'm preaching a lot better than you're responding right now. Because I'm telling you the truth right now. <laughs> Uh, I already preached myself happy, and I'm just getting started with this. <laughs> Told you now, we got to get the Super Bowl. Is, your pastor already said it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but this really is true. So, ladies, look, don't you know that the daughter of a lion is a lion? And the female lion, the woman gets the food for the family. She's the one that's vicious. The female lion, she's the one you better not mess with. She'll hurt you bad of that lion species, animal species. A woman will hurt you. See, And didn't it say the foot of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent? The heel of the woman, didn't it say that? So, okay, women, no more excuses for trying to say going to this gender kind of little weak stuff. No more of that. No more of that. Stop faking it. Because, look, you claim you can't deal with the devil, but you'll get your husband straight. Man, I'm preaching real good here this morning. I need to walk over here to the side over here now. You understand, like, look, he was put, he says, watch, he obeyed them to have the rule over you, but look, the head of every woman, of every, uh, uh, woman is man, so he has an authority over you, but he has an authority over you, but yet you talk back to him with no sweat. And when he doesn't do what he's supposed to do, you'll, you'll set him straight. Why submit to your own husband? Ask unto the Lord. But, so what do you, would you get the Lord straight? So what are you doing getting him straight? Let me go on this side. This, this side of it, this side over there, don't get it. <laughs> so in other words, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says study to be quiet. There are times that you don't speak. There are times that you're not to direct even your husband unless he's in sin. But a lot of the things they get dealt with about has to do more with preferences. It doesn't have to do with vision. It doesn't have to do with responsibility as unto the Lord. It doesn't have to do with calling. Because a lot of times you, you'll bring up the family things even over the calling. Haven't gone on a vacation this year. But you also don't realize you also haven't won a soul to Jesus this year either. What, your husband should have done it? So, see, we got to get, in terms of the priorities right, the issue is just because you're a woman doesn't mean he's supposed to be more dedicated than you. Dedication is not a gender issue. It's a surrender issue. Amen. You're surrendered to God. You're supposed to provoke your wife. I just gave my wife a new Bible. 
for her birthday. She just turned 65. We don't care, so don't worry. You're not one of those women that says, oh, don't tell them how old I am. Why not? That's how old you are. <laughs> 65. Ain't no, ain't no like, years issue. There's no issues with that. She's blessed. Godly woman, living for it. And, you know, I wrote in that Bible, and she said, I need you to write in it. Because I gave her the last one. You know what? She needed a new Bible because she wore the old one out. Glory to God. Now, look, she doesn't have to cook for me. She doesn't have to clean for me. She doesn't have to do any of that stuff. But wearing the Bible out, that's what I'm talking about right there. I want a woman of God. I don't want a woman that's a good cook. I want a woman of God because she may be a good cook. I mean, she may be fine. You know, I pat her back there, you know. You understand what I'm saying? All of that. But uh uh-uh. It's the word that I want her to be into because with her and me, one put a thousand, the pastor just gave it, two put 10,000, the two of us, both in the word. Look out, devil. Look out, man. You about to get hurt up someplace with a godly woman. So, yeah, I bought her a brand new Bible. And I rebuked myself because when I looked at the last Bible, it was leather, but it wasn't like that soft, pure, enduring level. So I went, I, I found the best leather I could find for her. Because, I mean, you understand, so that that's soft, she puts it in her hand and thinks, that, oh, look at here, look at here. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be like that. So look, ladies, though, now look, don't act like your little sweet thing, you know, when everything is going well with you, and then when the devil comes against you, you act like you just can't hardly make it without your husband. There are times you need to send that rascal to the field and have him reach in the world. He's been there with you. How long does he need to stay there with you to train you? Do you respect and honor him? See, see. Do you read his books? Now, here, I'm glad you just asked me because that's what I'm getting to. If you go back to 2 Timothy and read that verse 1, he says, Thou therefore, see, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. Now watch. The word heard isn't just literally here with the ear. Now watch what he says in the next phrase. It's at here. So here's what I want to know. Not how often do you read the Bible. But it's like what Dirk Prince used to say. He says, it's not that I just read the Bible. He says, it seems as though as when I was reading the Bible, the Bible was reading me. In other words, the Bible says the word of God is a mirror. So you look into the mirror of the word and you see yourself like God sees you, not like a human sees you, not like your family sees you, not like anybody. But how does God see you? But here's what he said, though, though to Timothy. He said, and the things which I have heard among me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men. Now, I want, I want to ask you, how many men in here have read this book, What is a Man? Let me see your hands. Okay? All right. Now watch. How many women have read this book? Let me see your hands. Now, let me help you right here. Now, the Bible clearly says that God created the man first. And in each case, when he delegated authority, he primarily delegated it to the man. But look. But subsequently, it, uh, it implied that the man was going to give what God gave to the man to the woman. So the two of them together would not be low-information Christians. 
Let me go on this side. Again, in other words, no information, Christians. Your husband's knowledge of the word isn't going to help you get into heaven. Now watch, this is where I'm going to go to. If you read carefully what is about to happen here, he says in Deuteronomy 8, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God shall man live. So that's both the practical, natural word, but it's also when that word becomes your food, your revelation. Now, I asked the question, how many of you um, men have read the book? Okay, and I saw your hands. Okay, bless God for you. And then I asked how many women? So ladies, it's like, wrote a book to men, but God spoke this word. The word that, the word that I quoted to you out of Deuteronomy 8, that was Moses saying that to men. In Deuteronomy 11, he says the same thing. He says, these, these words shall you lay up, you know, in your heart and in your mind. He says, put it upon your gates, your doorposts, everywhere. He was saying that. Moses was saying that to a man. But the implication was mankind. So they watch. Even though he wrote a book to a man, women should know what God is saying to her husband. Because this wasn't a word from him. This is a word from God. So you, want, you don't even know what to pray for accurately. If you don't know what shape God is forming him into. And then you don't know how to be a suitable wife for a man that's going to be like this man in this book. Come on, don't shout me down. Ladies, I'm helping you out. I'm helping you. I'm helping you big time. Read this book. Get this book. Read this book. Watch this. You can't pray it. You can't confess it over him. You can't prophesy over him if you don't know what he's supposed to look like. Time out for you looking for a man that goes and lifts weights and he got a nice body and muscles and he gets, wears the cute shirts and he's showing his muscles and all that. That's external. That's going to go away. But what's in this book is forever shape. This is forever right here. You got to pray this over him. He's not going to become this by a mistake. It's not going to be an accident. He's not going to fall into this. He's going to have to intentionally make this his reality. Now, let me go here. Now, follow me now, because now I'm going to get exegetical, and that's kind of a theological term, which means the correct interpretation for, the, for this text is the way I'm explaining this to you in this sense. This is not, Paul said to Timothy, now he was a son, right? So the son, on a biological level, you have the DNA of the dad. You're carrying that. That is you. So you're not just learning what your daddy knows. You are what your daddy is. So I'm just telling you this. For those men who have read this book, if you didn't take this in as your food, so now my next question would be, not only have you read it, can you preach it? Because the degree to which you can't spew this back out. Now these rappers are talking about spitting and the rapping and spewing and all this. They're talking about rap. And you got people listening to rap music, and as the guy's rapping, they can quote everything the guy's rapping right with them. Watch this, even Hispanics. Come on, don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. <laughs> and whites are white kids, got their pants drooped down, and they rapping this stuff, man. As soon as it comes on, they listen to the beat, they start rapping it. You mean you can spew out that garbage that those guys are saying? And you can't spew out the treasures of heaven, as your pastor would say it? You mean you haven't turned his word into songs? 
if you learn better by a song, then turn it into a song. But don't let this word fall to the ground, unborn, not birthing fruit. You're the fruit that God wants to birth. No, no. The fruit of him going to the whole world. Look, how can you reach the world when the world and you have not been reached? Because you haven't let him in authentically. Now, did you want the truth or you want me to tell you how much God loves you? What do you want? I'm just telling you, this is the way it has to be. See, now, in my church, I'm just taking a break so they can get a chance to get other people to come in there. But this is what they get. This is what they get. I'm not talking around them. It's too late. The world and America hasn't fallen into the condition it's in by a mistake. They are demonic disciples who are literally pounding. I remember a guy named E.V. Hill. Yes, sir. See, I got two people uh, seeing this. That's okay. The two of us, we'll do it. We'll do it. <laughs> but this man named E.V. Hill, he used to preach, speak in Promise Keepers. And he, he talked about the devil's attack against Jesus when he was in the wilderness, right? And each time in Matthew 4 that the devil came against him, uh, Jesus quoted the Bible. It is written. You know, he would quote, it is written. And every time he quoted, uh, E.V. Hill would say, you got to hit him, you know. And then the devil comes again. He says, you got to hit him, you see. And then he said, the devil came again. And Jesus, come on, what do you got to do? And he says, hit him. And then he ended his message saying, you got to hit him and hit him and hit him. Do you understand? And that's how this whole thing ended. It was about like a 13-minute message. You might even find it on the Internet. Hit him. Look, if you don't hit the devil, he will take you out. You got to hit him again and again and again. And so let me just tell you this. And perhaps you don't understand that as a potter shapes the pot into form, he has to shape it. And, and depending on what kind of substance he's using, if he's using steel, he has to heat it first. And then he has to use another substance and kind of pound it into shape again and again until it comes into the right shape that he's seeing. And that's why you have a pastor who's pounding you so that you can get in shape because Jesus is only going to marry a woman, a wife, who is a perfect fit for him. He's not going to marry a counterfeit church. So what seems to be craziness, what he's talking, is such a shock. Why should it be a shock? When I just read to you, Paul writing to Timothy in the first century, the things which you have seen, so therefore I was an example of what I'm talking about. The things that you've heard of me among many witnesses. Okay, so look, he sent Timothy out to do apostolic work. He was going to ordain elders in every city where he himself had been, and he had never done it before. So Paul lays down the requirements, but he sent a son out. He says, I got the substance, what you saw in me. Watch. He must have let that come in him, into him. What you've heard of me, now I want you to go do what I did. The same commit to faithful men. Well, how are you going to do what he does? How are you going to take the world if you don't know what he knows? Let me go on this side again. How are you going to do what he does? If you don't know what he knows. I'm talking about the principles under the statements. 
the scriptures that it stands for, you see. Because the world will come right in your face and tell a nasty joke as though you're just like them. Or people will curse around you as though you're a cursor and you've been redeemed from the curse. How can you so freely curse around me like that? Look, you can be a beautiful woman. And look, and these guys will come and talk to you just like you're good ground to have sex with them. What are you doing? I mean, I'm talking about a sinner that does not know Jesus will walk right up to you. Especially if you're good looking and say, oh, girl, you sure look good. And look you up and down. And if you laugh back at him, he says, mm-hmm, I got you. I got you. See, you look him right back in the eyes. You know, I know that the Jesus must have brought you here so that I can tell you about his saving love. And you no smiles at all. And Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood on the cross for you. You came to me so I can pray for you right now. That's a woman talking back to him like that. Whatever he had going on, you know, he was maybe been turned on. He got turned off. He's either going to be turned off for Jesus, but he's not going to be turned on for you if he's talking about sex. Why? I made a statement when I was here last time. The one who created sex is better than sex. A person's relationship with God can compare to a relationship with a human being. If you don't know that, you don't have a real relationship with him. There's nothing like in the prayer closet of total surrender when God makes himself the creator of the world. In Psalms 8, the writer asks, what is man that thou art mindful of him? One person or science have said that the earth in this galaxy by itself, it says that one million of the size, the circumference of the earth could fit within the circumference of the sun. One million of these. And it said that there are as many grains of sand, watch, there are as many stars in our solar system as there are grains of sand on every seashore. And there are as many galaxies in our universe as there are grains of sand. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that visited him? Why should God even talk to us? But yet we are ordained to be as he is. So are we in this world. Man, whoa! That's what I love about this. I, I love this man. Man, I have the opportunity in just this one lifetime to be like God. That's why I don't care if somebody called me black, nigger, dumb, uh, you know, ugly, old. I don't care. You can't define me. I've already been defined by Christ. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Well, let's get out of here. Let's let us flee. For me, you carrying your destiny in my heart. You don't even know it unless I open my mouth and say something to you to deliver you from the bondages of your inner conflicts. You have psychobabble going on in you, and I can help you. You don't even know it unless I speak to you. You have the audacity to try to define me. I feel sorry for these people that are caught back there. And so, look, go back with me. I want you to see this. I got to. I got to start towards my first closing, and I hate closing. And watch this. And the things which I have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men. So watch. Who shall be able to teach others also? So now watch. So he's saying that this four-generational transformation thing, you don't just read the book. The book reads you. 
you adhere to it, it becomes you. Look, he says, you commit that to faith. They're going to teach this. They're going to teach what, I, what you saw, heard about me, what you heard of me. You don't only, you haven't just heard the message. You haven't just read the book. You've become the message and you're preaching it everywhere. So now let me say to the men that have read it, the greatest honor you can give him is to learn and become what he's teaching you. It's the greatest honor. In money, he doesn't even take up offerings in here. But all the other churches, they go after the money. Now, uh, let me just say one thing, too. I just have a, uh, one of my friends. I mean, he's a good man. I preach in his church, uh, you know, where, whenever. But while I was there, um, they asked me in between services, because he's out in Dallas, Texas, uh, in that area. Um, if I would talk to a group of 20 millionaires whose number one goal is God is, is Deuteronomy 8.18, God gives them power to get wealth that he might establish his covenant in the earth. So these are 20 millionaires that know why they're making money. They are making money to help the man of God, one, that he himself personally will not ever need a cent. That's their number one goal. Secondly, that his vision will be accomplished by the money God's enabling them to make. I spoke to 20 of them. Now, you know, now I, I, I'm sure that you wouldn't understand what I just read to you in this way. There were these 20 rich, I mean, these rich women in Luke 8. I call them the Luke 8 company. These were rich women. See? Now, it wasn't that Jesus didn't have rich men with him because, let me clearly, Matthew was holding out because Jesus had to go get money out of fish's mouth. Or he just decided, Matthew, you're not going to be my source because he was a tax collector, and those tax collectors in Jesus' day certainly were, they were rich, crazy money. That's why they knew because they were cheated people, and uh, without a doubt, they overcharged them tax money, and, and that's why they were amazed when Jesus even went to a tax collector's home. What are you doing eating in that dude's home? He said, them that are sick need not a position, them that are well, not a position, but them that are sick. He knew that they were spiritually sick, but that's who he came to reach, the sick. And they, were, he was, they wasn't physically sick. They were uh, economically sick. They put a, look, they let money put a value on them. When money can't value a man, man puts a value on money. You remember I taught you that. Okay, all two of you got that too. Okay. But look, this is important. So these rich women supported Jesus financially. That's how he did the business. It's clearly, it says it right there. They gave of him of their money. So anyway, so I talked to these 20 rich men. Now, those 20 were worth over, and they, they, they laid it on the table what they were worth to this man. And they were the ones worth between 10 million and 100 million. See? But then he had eight of them that was worth over a hundred million. And I talked to them too. Now, I gave you a biblical example of women that were rich, but the historical example of folks who did that in our nation are, I'll give you a couple examples of them, Arthur and Lewis Tappan, T-A-P-P-A-N. They were merchandisers out of New York. They financed Charles Finney and Father Nash. They were the ones that gave the money for Oberlin College. See? And they created something called the Benevolent Empire. I mean, you got the Google. 
you know, for, as far as I'm concerned, you can take out the smartphones and check me out while I'm preaching. Matter of fact, put it on your Facebook. Get a picture of me and, and you know, put it on Facebook right now. Tell your friends. Say, this guy is saying some radical stuff. You got to hear it. I'm just telling you the truth. That's not radical. It's basic. So put it out. I don't care because I'm willing to stand for what I'm saying to you before God. So you know I can stand before man. So look, glory to God. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. So now get the point. Then there were eight of them that was worth over 100 million. I talked to them. I gave them the history, somewhat of what I'm giving you. The Tappans created an empire of financial godly people who put their money for the causes of Christ. It became the benevolent empire. They raised enough money, they'd meet every year in New York City, to equal the entire budget of the United States in 1935. The church outpaced the world in wealth creation. It wasn't Bill Gates who was said to be the richest man in the world. David was the richest man in the world in his day. Naturally and spiritually. He was able to eat off the table of the showbread, which, which the priests weren't allowed to do that. But David was rich in God and money. When you know the right reason for wealth creation, then it's when you can have it. But until then... Your money has no redemptive value and perishes while you spend it. In other words, instead of your money counting for you, it counts against you because you use it for yourself rather than for God. Some of you are saving your money for retirement. We what? You mean you're going to quit God at a certain age? (laughs) Look, you don't retire from making money. You just use new ways of creating economic Dreams, so it'll come to you. Right now, the God says, the gold is mine, the silver is mine, says the Lord. That no matter where the money is, it is always God's. Why isn't it in your bank account? Because you haven't created an economic stream to make it come to you. All the money that has ever been in the earth is still here. This side, I don't know. They may not like me over here. I say some strong statements over there. But do you understand that? Because nobody took their gold with them, right? Nobody took the silver. Nobody took diamonds with them. It's still here. But look, you got to ask, why isn't it in your bank account? If God says the gold is mine, the silver is mine, saith the Lord, then the issue is not who owns it. God owns it. So for a Christian, it's not ownership. It's stewardship. Not what I have, but what I can handle. Can God trust me to handle what is his? You may be called a billionaire, but you couldn't come up with a numerical designation as to what God is worth. So therefore, no one else but the creator of value can put a value on what you are worth. They may say you're a billionaire by what you have in your bank account, but guess what? That money don't define your worth. A man created mediums of exchange. A man took wood, made it into paper, made it into a promissory note, and said and created economic factors that said this dollar is worth something based on my promise. But if his promise isn't based on God's promise, then that dollar isn't worth the paper it's written on. 
That's what you got to understand. So we create economic false factors to create value. We say gold, silver, which no more, you know, is, do we have a gold value? You understand it's not on a gold standard. But what was it doing on a gold standard in the first place? Well, I invited myself to preach over here anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Glory to God. So, you see? I'm going right to the root of everything. I'm going to the root of it. God wouldn't say, like, if he had all the gold in Fort Knox, which he does have, he wouldn't say, oh, look at here, look at here, I'm rich. God says, until I designate that as a medium of exchange, that gold is nothing. Right? So what is gold in heaven? It's pavement. Right? The streets are made of gold. So in heaven, gold is pavement. I walk on that. But God said, until we get a mentality like that, that nothing on earth can put a value to you, only something from heaven can put a value on you. You're functioning too low. So you go to a mall and you're able to buy a couple of things, you're able to buy a nice car. Now, now watch, let me, let me deal with some things here for a minute. Because Hispanics are falling into this kind of American evangelical trap about money. And because, you know, a lot of them do not give in like they should. Second, number two economic power in the U.S., Hispanics. Latinos, whatever, they got money. Now, they came in here, they're the new servant culture of this country. They will work where other people want. But they're not working to retire. They're working to learn what the people that hires them knows. So that they can create economic income streams that the people they work for has. They're not trying to retire. See? So they'll let you call them anything you want to call them. And they'll uh, assimilate and, uh, in their family and save that money. But they have a goal in mind. They have vision. They're planning stuff. They're working. They're going to get them numbers. And right now... They're number two economic power, Asians are number three, and blacks are number four. Because why? They allow themselves to be defined by their culture. They let themselves be defined by how somebody else sees them. They are low information people. They have not learned what they should know about God, and then secondly, about how money works. And then they haven't worked it. And so guess what? People come in here, because if you didn't come from here, like his family, there you go, his daddy, come here, I had to start over again. Totally over again. Now tell me the discipline and the patience of that. To have to learn another language and to have to be a medical doctor and have to learn that all over again in another country and start over. Tell me the discipline. He's willing to risk his whole lifetime to create a foundation for sons and daughters. I don't hardly know of a black person that would think that way. Think generationally. I'll sacrifice my life to build a foundation for my children. And a good one, the highest level I can come to. Exact same thing that Jesus did. Then he has a radical son that says, okay, I'm not about money. Making money, it's about making people into the image of Christ. So I'm not going to populate the earth. I'm going to populate the church. I'm going to populate heaven. And these are people who are going to be at the level of divine satisfaction. And God says in 1 Corinthians 3, 11, now the, he says all of us, all of our works are going to have to stand the test of fire to see what sort they are. So God uses their, whether they be gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. See? So God uses gold 
as a measure of standard in terms of value, but he's talking about who you are at value. That's why you, gold can't put a value on you. You put a value on gold. A, a friend of mine gave me, I wanted a ball mark. Remember I told you this? I wanted a ball mark that I would use for golf. And he had a one-ounce gold Krugerrand. And he says, here, Bishop, maybe you could use this. Went into a safe and got that. Maybe you use this as a ball mark when you play golf. You can put that down on the ground. So it's when your ball lands on the green, instead of you taking out the, the marker, some other kind of thing off your hat, or out, use this one-ounce Krugerrand. Put that down there. I said, mm, that's exactly. <laughs> yes, sir. And he says, well, see, you see it later? I tell you what, I'm going to give you two of them. So two of them. So I'd go into these faith churches, you know what I'm saying? And I would say, look, I use this as my ball mark. I, like, I enjoy golf, and I still like golf. I use it as a you know, ball mark. So see, look, so put that thing down on the ground. And the guy said, what is that? I said, it's Cougaran. He says, it looks, kinda, it looks like gold. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He said, is that real gold? I said, yeah. He said, what is that worth? I said, whatever a ball mark is worth, what's a ball mark worth? They said, in that, at that time, gold was trading like, I don't know, six, $700 an ounce. You know, it wasn't like what it is now, 2000 whatever. And I said, I don't know what it's worth. It's worth is the ball mark. And he was really confused. I said, well, look, that thing does not know what it is unless I give it an assignment. In itself, it's worth nothing. It can't say, hey, look at me, I'm worth something thing doesn't live, I live. I say it's a ball mark. If I have one million of those, it still could not increase my worth. Because that, those gold things don't increase my value because a man puts a value in the earth. The earth doesn't put a value on man. I'm talking about looking at funny, quit looking at quit looking at that. See? Until he changed his thinking, that thing down there would control him without even being a living entity. That thing down there would become a priority in his life without giving him any instruction. That thing down there would become something that would make him feel good about himself, and that thing itself didn't even know what it was. It's the same as any idol. Well, there's the idol of having the foot Super Bowl. Super what? Fantasy football. And there are guys say, I told you, oh, man, I'm right in this pool now. I know my team is going to win. And they, they're into, uh, you know, Manning. And, I mean, he's going to win, you know. And or they, you know, look. Man, look. You may be into fantasy football, but you know, your issue is your fantasy, fantasy Christianity. You know more about those teams that are playing the Super Bowl than you know about the Super One. Now, I happen to know Archie Manning, he's over all the coaches nationwide. Let me tell you what happened. Coach McCartney, the founder of Promise Keepers, just was asked, was selected for the Coaches Hall of Fame less than a month ago. And look, and it's a four and a half hour experience. He gets up and makes a 10 minute speech that shook the earth. Coach McCartney. In 10 minutes, 
the, the, the media, the negative media that was against him and men, that was against him and his stand on marriage and all these issues like this. In 10 minutes, what he said was so powerful that, that the papers, the, 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 the news uh, reporters said, wow, this was a boring experience until Coach McCartney talked. Because why? A man of God had something to say. Woo! My father. Oh, man, I get turned on. Just thinking about it. Look, from that experience, Archie Manning was there. Archie Manning was over to all the coaches. They were going to have a meeting in a couple weeks afterwards where 5,000 coaches were going to also gather. They said, Coach McCartney, would you honor us by coming to make this speech? that would set a precedent, a mentality, a standard for the coaches of this nation now. A man of God in 10 minutes could do more than what a man that doesn't know God could do in a lifetime. When you know your worth, it doesn't take nearly as much time to get the job done. Woo! Tell them the truth, Boone. Tell them, tell them the truth. Don't hold back with these people. See, I want every man in here to repent for letting he come up, him get up here every Sunday and waste his time talking to you when you've only read the book. Every man in here that have not read the book. You see, you have to say, I didn't know about it. You can't say, I knew about it and didn't read it. Because you are into fantasy Christianity while you have a Peyton Manning as quarterback. I'm as excited about his life that he lives and his sons as I am any of my sons that are around the nation. See, and I have some of them that have big churches, large churches, but no, it's the largeness of God in him and who's good ground to receive it. Amen. Let me tell you something. This businessman right here, Jorge. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know what I'm saying. Look, I remember when he got his new car. I hardly know of a wife that would let him put a save your marriage sign on a brand new car like that. See? Because the world thinks that's a clown. When marriages are being destroyed, look, don't why you got to put the sign on it? Can't, can't, can't you just, can't we talk about Jesus without the sign? Paul says, I make myself a fool for the gospel of Christ. But who were really the fools? It was the ones who couldn't be humble enough to be a fool for Jesus Christ, the creator of the world. These are people who are more people conscious than they are God conscious. I want to look more like the world than look like God. Thank you for letting me see that. I knew that was your car when I walked up there and I drove up there and saw that. Yes, sir. Yeah, I haven't seen his Lexus. I was looking for his Lexus with it on there. Looking for it. Why? Who better to satisfy than God, and who better to provoke than lukewarm Christians who are steeped in pride and arrogance and don't know 
that watch. Let him that be greatest among you, let him be your servant. He says, if you humble yourself, I will exalt you. But if you exalt yourself, I will humble you. See? I have no intentions for my wife to be more of a servant than I am or to be more humble. And when we get into these disagreements, who repents first is the issue. Who means it is a greater issue. And who will change his behavior is another issue. So now listen, people, please. Why did he write a book, What is a Man? I, I saw a movie, and I don't preach no movies. When I heard this statement, I knew it was a biblical statement. I don't even know it was, you know, some kind of Asian movies. I don't look at movies for themes. I don't need no themes. I got enough of them in the Bible. I look at totally cycle nevertheless. I do like, like, Kung Fu, uh, what's his name, that used to knock you for next year. Yeah, mm, I like those. I like those. And uh, so anyway, I won't go into my movie thing. But anyway, so this one man said to this one guy, he said, one act of disobedience throws the whole earth out of balance. Goodness gracious of life. Isn't that clearly Adam? His one act of disobedience, right, concerning the garden threw the whole earth out of balance. One man's sin. One man's act of obedience brought everything back into balance. The degree to which you're in obedience is the degree to which you are in balance. Why a man? The greatest thing you could ever be called is a man of God. When a wife describes her husband, the first thing she should say about him is not because they're going to ask you, well, what does he do? Oh, he's a disciple of Jesus Christ and uh, he's a man of God. Look, and what's next? You mentioned Jesus, you mentioned God, and we're in a great church. And that church creates an environment. It's a culture. It's creating a culture. It's an it's a anti-worldly environment. It is creating an environment where it looks like heaven. The people in here are full of love. Now, I didn't like the way I was attacked with love when I walked through the door. You hear that? I mean, these people, I mean, they said, how are you doing? Hey, hello. I mean, it's like y'all was like, just flooding me with it. That's where heaven is going to be. Keep it up. Keep it up. But now, the next thing. Get this book. Pay for it. Don't let him give it to you. Pay for it. Secondly, read it. Thirdly, learn it. Fourthly, preach it. See, well, people that want to hear it, agitate them. Get them mad. They don't like you anyway. <laughs> give them a reason not to like you. Preach. Preach hard to them. Men, women, all of them. Okay, now, go back to the money thing. I want you men and you women to have money. Where he's neutral about this thing, see, he's seen so much of the bad stuff, he says, why should I have to tell you about giving tithes and offerings? One time, like, like uh, a second time when I've already told you one time. But now I'm talking to you beyond tithes and offerings. See, in the Old Testament, tithes was your sacrament. Offering was your sacrifice. See, so the tithe, you know it means 10%. So you get tithes plus offerings, right? In the New Testament, no, no, no. 
In the New Testament, your bodies are the temples of the Holy Ghost. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So God not only owns your money, he owns you. So now watch this. So in the New Testament, it's not, Lord, how much shall I give? It's, Lord, how much shall I keep? This side doesn't really get it. Shall I come over here now for this one? See, when you really give all your money to God, you walk up to this man and says, tell me, Pastor, what you really need to get the gospel done at the level it needs to be for the level you're preaching on. Secondly, you own land. God owns the land. He owns the earth. Too much of the world is stewarding the earth. You got to buy some land. Pay for it cash. Build something on it. Why? You got to simulate. There got to be people. There got to be training centers. There have to be people coming. Look, people coming from all over the world. They come and they can stay. You have places for them to stay. Oh, you know, they don't have to get no hotel. You got it available. You make it available for them. They can come all over the world to get some of him. Because if he is not a valuable gem, then show me some other people like that. Go out there and find them. Who do you know at that level? You find somebody like that, buddy, you put a value to them. Not this, I love you, that was a good message. Oh, Pastor, you got to me that time. If that money didn't leave your bank account and get over there to him and to this work, you just a sounding symbol. You're a trumpet that sounds loud, but that thing has to activate. Like these women with Jesus, like Arthur Lewis Tappan, like those guys in that church, those 20 and those eight. The eight worth over 100 million, the 20 that was worth over 10 million, they laid it out. This is what I got, Pastor. What can you do? And I was down in another church in Dallas, Texas. This is, this is another one in the inner city. The other one was out, I'm trying to think of the name out there, North Dallas. That one I was told. But there's another one down there where SMU, that, that pastor is, a co- is the chaplain of the SMU football team. That pastor is. Two billionaires walked up to me and said, Bishop, I'm, get, I'm, I'm getting ready to do a deal in New York City to start another whole banking system because some of the main banking systems aren't operating honorably. So please pray for me. See, and he made himself available to this pastor. He told them, there's two of them that came to me and said, we're billionaires. We're available to this man because they're landlocked where they are. To do the vision of the pastor, they can't do it in that location. There is no money problems. There was a surrender problem. An identity crisis. They didn't know why God gave them the ability to make money because they never gave it to God. They never claimed it was his. They still owned it themselves. I just want to clearly tell you, this is a restoration ministry. This restoring the desolations of the generations to be a light that shines in a dark day. We shine loud We pray loud. We are serious about it. There's nothing else to be serious about. What? The Grammys were an abomination. The Super Bowl is an abomination. The NBA player is an abomination. Compared to your call. You hear that? Now, as I say, you can't look at the Super Bowl. I didn't say that. 
Did I say you can't look at the NBA player? No. Did I say women can't go shopping over there? What's that mall? Million, new, something international. And uh, what's the mall? Hmm? Yeah, Dolphin Mall. No, go over there. Buy the mall. Buy the mall. But don't let the mall buy you. Okay? Buy the mall. Now, come on. I need some people to repent. I'm going to read this book. I'm sorry, Bishop. I'm not going to let you scream at me again ever over this. I got one more service to scream. And I'm not really going to go into exactly the same things. I'll cover some of them, but I got a lot of more. I got some more stuff to say. Because we're raising up a new generation. And at 65, I can't, I'm not wasting any time with it. I'm putting it out. You give me an opportunity where they want it, I'm screaming and fussing as a dad. Because I want you to be acceptable before the Lord. And I want you to look at me. I've been having with you. And you say, Bishop, thank you for coming over there and screaming at us. Because I was good ground for it. And look at all the list that Father gave me up in here. That's right. That's what I want you to say. I would hate for you to look at me and say, Bishop, God gave you that word to tell me. And you didn't tell me. And so... I didn't hear what I should have heard to become what I should have been. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? And then it counted against me and you. I ain't losing nothing like that. No way, but I'm giving it up. So men, I want you who will commit to read the book, stand up on your feet. The men who will commit to read the book, stand up on your feet. Those men. You read the book. Okay? I want you to stand up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Now, women, you want to know what they're becoming that's going to read the book? You stand up. Okay? And then, you're not reading theirs. Get your own. Okay? None of that. We share the book. He got in trouble with the family bookstore for charging too little because they said distribution people and the bookstores can't make any money with a $5 price point. We can't, we can't even distribute it and get it out and make any margins. That $5, you've got to charge more. Help him. Help him. He is so into trying to keep everything down and not be like these other charlatans are. That he didn't know he was hurting himself in some ways. Let's do this thing. This is not a small church. This is a huge church. Numbers doesn't determine it. It's dedication that makes you so large. Say this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I've heard your word. My heart is good ground for transformation. You trust me, God, with your word with revelation to be the example that the world need to see. From this hour forward, I repent for any level of living that is not your standard of living. In Jesus' name, I receive the word you've given my pastor as a word from you. It is my food I am that word. I will give that word out. I am a light 
that is shining. And people must know me. In Jesus' name, I can handle your money. I will be trusted by you to be a blessing to your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Give somebody a high five and let's have it.